Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Randall Crowder. He's the Chief Operating Officer at Funware. Randall, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing is actually really innovative and cool, but maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. You got it. You're actually uh, born and raised in Austin, Texas. So Very nice. Austin I love Austin. Been home. You've been here before? Yeah, I've been here there a couple of times. I, I was there for South by one one year, which was amazing and crazy at the same time. Um, and then <laughs> I, I came for a different conference years ago after. Um, but yeah, so I've had tons of really good times in uh, Austin. So Yeah, I, I always point to South by Southwest as a reason why so many people move here, because they always plan it during the one month in Austin that is absolutely <laughs> beautiful. People think, wow, this is Texas? I'm like, no, this is not Texas. The rest of the year is horrible. It's hot. <laughs> it's humid. You don't want to move here. <laughs> no, think, it's our little, our, our little oasis. Yeah, I, I think the other time I came was in July, and it was like extremely hot. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I know. I know. But yeah, so... So walk me through kind of um, you you went you were in the military and, and then you went to university. Walk me through kind of that and what made you take or what made you go into the military and what did you take in uh, university? Yeah, great question. So um, I actually so I went to West Point for undergrad, okay. uh, United States Military Academy up in New York. Okay, yeah, didn't didn't come from a military family, um, okay. but always kind of never never. You know, shy from a challenge, I guess you could say. Interesting. And so one of my best my best friends in high school at the time, his father had gone to West Point. And so he did what best friends do and say, why don't you come with me? And uh, he knew he was always going to go to West Point. And I kind of started looking into it and kind of go, go through a series of, of approvals to get in and get kind of nominated by a congressman and okay. ended up, you know, wow. just kind of going through it on a lark. Um, didn't really think I'd get in. And then, you know, once I got in, I was like, well, you know, hell, I guess I got to go now. <laughs> uh, but you know, you got to remember this was the, the this was nine, 1997, 1998. Yeah. You know, Rumsfeld was downsizing the army. People were getting paid like a couple hundred thousand just to get out of the army early. So yeah. he he sold me pretty good. He kind of fancied himself a sales and marketing guy. He said, "Listen, we're going to go. It's a great education. You know, we'll probably get paid to not even serve. It's going to be awesome." And then, of course, my junior year, September 11th happened, and wow. so. I call. I call people calling up saying, you know, that plan you had, I think that kind of went out the window. So, ended up, you know, being, uh, you know, left fortunately, you know, was able to deploy a couple times and and come back and, um, you know, none the worse for wear, at least physically. And so, you know, could, couldn't would never wouldn't change it for the world. You know, okay, the the army, you know, teaches you a lot about yourself, a lot about organizations, a lot about teams. And it's actually a lot more. I always tell people it's a lot more entrepreneurial, at least now, than people think. Interesting. Um, Why do you, you say know, that? You, were, you know, if you ever have a chance to read a book called Startup Nation, um, yeah, it talks yeah, a yeah. lot about the military's, you know, role in kind of innovation in Israel. And it's not that much dissimilar, you know, for us. And so, you know, you go into a situation where there is no plan. You know, we never fought or trained for the wars we fought in Iraq sure. and Afghanistan. And so in the very beginning, 
you threw these large, clunky organizations into a situation where they weren't really optimized for. Okay. And now all of a sudden you have to adapt and change on the ground. So you know, I was executing kind of side letters with, you know, British contractors to, you know, open up new supply lines. You know, we were, you know, doing joint missions. I mean, one day you're a, a you know, a, a civil affairs officer. The next day you're a trigger puller. Day after that, you know, you're getting ambushed and you know, yeah. calling in air support. You know, so you're, you're kind of having to transition your role. It's that it's a good, every good entrepreneur knows you, know, you don't really have a job description. You do what's needed. And yeah, so you really had to adapt to survive. Yeah, interesting. So walk me through kind of getting out of the military, kind of going back to Texas, uh, University of Texas at Austin, and then walk me through kind of that journey into kind of transitioning into what you're currently doing now. Absolutely. So the Army will teach you one of two things. Either you love a boss and you love command and control, sure. or you hate a boss and you never want command and control. So I think I've, I'm definitely the latter. Okay. Um, I vowed to kind of never give you know my resume to anyone ever again. And so always entrepreneurship was always kind of my calling. I, I okay. love kind of being able to create things, you know, even working without a safety net. And so when I got out of the Army in 2008, I was basically – I had applied and gotten accepted to McCombs for my MBA, um, okay. and I got out in basically, you know, call it January. So I had about eight months until school started. Okay. So I just hit the ground running. I, I made it. I always tell everybody I talk to, you know, kind of how you kind of get going because a lot of people I think they feel like they're maybe stuck and they don't know the next step to take. I made a list of about a hundred people in Austin uh, that I wanted to meet, and okay. you know, kind of put a couple you know, different notes by each name, kind of how I might be connected to them or how I might reach them or what they might be doing or what they might be interested in. And I set about just meeting everybody and anybody I could. And I, I told them, I said, listen, I'm going to school. I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for a handout. I just want to hear your story. So, you know, I began reaching out to everyone I could. And, you know, Austin's a great town. It's very open. It's not very pretentious. And so I got a lot of responses. Um, some people are just not going to get back to you, and that's not sure. their fault. They're busy, or maybe yeah. they just don't know what the, what the catch is. But I met with a lot of wonderful people all throughout Austin. Um, ended up really clicking with a gentleman named uh, Admiral Bobby Inman. Uh, he was the uh, deputy director of the CIA, early investor in Oracle and Dell. Interesting. Um, kind of an incredible, incredible man. And he had started a venture fund here in town. So I began kind of just working with him um, really to – to you know, true military fashion, know your enemy. I was like, if I'm not a big entrepreneur, I want to know everything about venture capitalists because I'm never going to raise money. I want to know the lingo. I want to know the approach. I want to know how they think behind closed doors. And so really developed a great relationship with him and his son, Tom Inman, who, who was running at the time, Jeff and Orr Ventures, uh, which become Limestone Ventures. And we started doing some deal sourcing out of the angel community here in Austin, which is really vibrant. Sure. Um, and that thing led to another kind of a next lesson for, you know, anybody kind of entrepreneurial minded is you, know, you never get what you don't ask for. So I started, you know, really just shadowing uh, the founder of Central Texas Angel Network, telling him, look, I'm really just sourcing deals for the Admiral. Um, but, you know, if I can help out, I'll help out. This is now the summer before starting my MBA. Interesting. And lo and behold, it looked like the executive director of that Angel Network was going to, uh, you know, possibly be moving on. And they were looking for another director. And I said, well, who are you looking for? They basically described Elon Musk. And I was like, well, you know, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but Elon <laughs> Musk is not going to run your angel network. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, I will. You know, I've been you know, running an organization 
in the military for a long time. Um, this is what you need is disciplined management and better organizational development, and I can do that. And so, you know, I've built what's called a standard operating procedure for Angel Networks, um, pitched it to the board. They believed me, uh, and so I took over the Central Texas Angel Network about the same time I was starting my MBA. I ran it for about three years. Uh, it's now, the, you know, when I left, it was the third most active angel network in the country. Wow, that's uh, huge, so man. Now, Congrats on that. Yeah, now it's number one. So yeah, that's great. We, we, we definitely kind of cracked the code on that. Um, but during that process, uh, so I got my MBA, did a Kaufman Fellowship uh, out in cool. California. Ended up, you know, a lot of the deals we were doing um, were healthcare related. I didn't know a lot about healthcare. Uh, but I, I had gotten a really good you know, understanding of tech. So we started Texo Ventures back in 2009, uh, 2010, to really do tech um, tech venture and healthcare. And so okay. we focused mostly on health IT, tech-enabled health services. Um, great time there. Had two other partners. Um, ended up deciding not to raise a second fund. And now, you know, I had also kind of along that way, you work with engineers, you find out all the cool stuff. So I knew about Bitcoin kind of before Bitcoin was cool. Sure. Uh, started another fund called Nove Ventures to really just focus on investing in companies leveraging blockchain. Interesting. And so long story, you know, a little bit shorter, um, not short, but um, I ended up keeping in contact with somebody I met back in my angel days. Um, this was back in 2009. I had met an individual coming from Newport. He was uh, you know, a very successful entrepreneur, had decided to kind of hang up the hat and really focus on mentoring the next generation. I met with him, I think, twice. And one thing with investing, you pattern recognition. And I told him after the second meeting, I said, there's no way in hell you're going to hang up the hat. You know, you could just, some people you can just tell are born operators. Yeah, you know, they yeah. can't sit still. They got, they got an idea every two seconds. And I was like, there's no way you're going to kind of, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, retire today. <laughs> well, fast forward 10 years, um, we kept in contact that whole time. You know, sure as hell, I was right back then. He did end up starting another company uh, and I actually helped him with it. He had a $1.6 million seed round to get it going. Wow. We kept in contact over the last 10 years and about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, he contacted me and said, hey, you know, I know you know a little bit about this crypto thing. You know, I'd love to get more involved kind of as an investor. You want to just kind of you know get start getting together regularly and talk crypto and blockchain. And lo and behold, we said, hey, you know, I think we kind of started riffing on his own company. So this is perfect for blockchain. Interesting. Uh, we kind of came up with a construct of what that might look like. He asked me if you know, I would even consider investing and maybe advising. And said, yeah, I invested about $3 million wow. and, you know, came on to really advise, um, learned more about where the company was over the last 10 years fell in love uh, and so on the opportunity you know i'm sure you can i'm spoiler alert i'm sure you can guess where i'm going with this sure that company was fun funware the cryptocurrency was fun coin the ceo that i met 10 years ago was alan Tauski. and so it's a uh, it's serendipitous how things work where you know i was only a, a year back in austin he was coming to austin you know we met i helped him with the first round to start funware a decade ago and now 10 years later um you know i invested the last private money uh, into the company, I'll tell you what we're doing now and why it's the last private money. But now being COO, being able to work hand in hand with them uh, ten years later is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's that's really quite fascinating. So, walk me through kind of Funware's journey then, and kind of what are you guys doing now, and how has it kind of evolved over time? Because I think just we were talking a few minutes earlier before we started recording. Like I think 
staying relevant and kind of on top of this stuff is kind of something you guys have very much pride yourself on. Yeah, you know, and I'll give I'll give Alan credit for that. You know, so after kind of going back now without being vague, you know, when we met um, and he said he wanted to start another company, he had a, a hypothesis as clear as day. And it's what you want in a leader. You want sure. somebody who sees where the puck is going, you know, has kind of the, the audacity to go after it. Uh, but also the constitution to see it through. Sure. So Alan had the hypothesis that, you know, look, all these brands um, have just kind of figured out web. You yeah. know, they maybe have a website. Um, and if they're good, maybe there's some sort of engagement you can have with a customer, whether it's e-com or something else. But, you know, the, the, the world is moving faster than brands will ever be able to respond to. And this thing called mobile is about to take off. You know, 2% of internet content was being consumed on mobile about a decade ago. And Alan said, this is going to be the next wave. This is the future. The mobile phone will become the most real, valuable real estate to a brand in existence uh, because it's connected to a human. And a human is, is what it's all about. And so what he did in the very beginning was let's set up a company to help brands transition from web to mobile. So one, early on, kind of a, an internal tagline was everything you need to succeed on mobile. And so we cut our teeth building, you know, mobile apps. And, and another important thing that he got right was he believed very certainly, you know, avidly that it was going to be native apps that win. And there were still people who kind of thought, well, we could have this kind of responsive web thing or, you know, what if we, what if we can kind of, you know, take HTML and do something there. And he said, absolutely not. It's going to be native apps all the way. And he was right. You know, I think. 80% of internet content is consumed on mobile now, and like 70% of that is on native apps. So he was two for two, um, and it really set Funware on a great trajectory to be a leader in this space. So we built the first NASCAR app, the first NFL app. Interesting. You know, if you touch a mobile application that says Fox, yeah. that's us. You know, so you have a you know, company, one of the largest media properties you know, in the world, who could probably build and buy anything they wanted, and they still outsource all of their mobile to us because you know we're just the probably the best in the world at making sure that you can deliver something that is not only you know engaging for a consumer but it's got to be reliable sure so when we had the you know most recently the world cup you know fox set you know live streaming records concurrently for every match and sure. then you have youtube and google crashing yeah um, we did the sochi olympics didn't crash you know and so you know, tell them, yeah, tell, try and tell HBO, look, you know, you, you, you let us take over for you because then you'll have Game of Thrones crashing and pissing everybody off. But, you know, we've gotten very good at deploying commercially grade, very reliable mobile ecosystems. Interesting. And so we've been, you know, in doing that, though, we kind of had this interesting problem that became an opportunity for us. Okay. You know, so we needed to be able to do that at scale and do it very reliably and very well and, and churn those out because you sure. didn't want to have a, a huge kind of lead time to develop these applications. So we started getting really good at building fast. And sure. so we developed SDKs, APIs, scripts, utilities that we needed. You know, so like, you know if you're you know, doing Excel and you start building your own macros, you're like, man, I got to do this faster next yeah. time. So you start doing things for the future. Well, all of a sudden you turn around and you look at all that and you go, holy crap, that's pretty valuable. Totally. So we started licensing that to other publishers saying, look, you know, you're trying to build an application. You want to serve ads. You want, you want to serve ads. You want to manage content. 
you want to deploy an application faster, smarter, and with more features, we'll just license you the stuff we already built so you don't have to start from square one. Interesting. And so people started licensing our stuff. And now the interesting thing about that is you start to look much more like a software as a service company, yeah. which you know, Wall Street loves you know, much more than a custom dev shop. So yeah. that's kind of the, the heart of what we started to become. And then, I mean, it, it's, you, couldn't, you couldn't make this stuff up. Another kind of almost, I always, always jokingly say, and I'll tell you about two more lines of business sure. and I'll pause. Um, we have like probably $3 billion <laughs> companies all wrapped up into one, which wow. is both great and, and, and also kind of scary. So sure. you have this you know, application ecosystem you know, engine that we've created where we can churn those out, help people be better on mobile. Great. We have, part of that is licensing this stuff to help other people be great on mobile. Great. Sure. Well, now you're deploying all of these you know, applications, and because of the way our, our SDKs um, are, are coded and because of our app framework that we use, they end up becoming these really interesting data acquisition devices as well. Sure. So fast forward 10 years, about a billion monthly actives touch our platform. Wow. And so you That's now are, we're, we're, yeah, we're generating about five terabytes of data every day wow. and we have over a terabyte of data. And so as you look at companies, a lot of these large brands and kind of when we, you know, earlier in the conversation, you know, brands are looking for humans. Um, and that's a problem right now when it comes to like Facebook and Google, you know, these brands are throwing money at them and they're not really sure what they're getting in return. And then you have this issue with Cambridge Analytica. So now there's yeah. this consumer trust issue going on. So there's got, these are those moments where you say there's got to be a better way. So the way our data is collected and the way we curate it is something we're currently calling a knowledge graph. And so when you go into kind of our command center with a world-class team of data scientists, um, it really makes you feel like you're in the NSA. And so we look at disparate data sets in the aggregate, kind of think of like a series of clusters, you know, big clusters, small clusters, everything connected by kind of nodes and lines. Um, and we can visualize any data set kind of in three dimensions. And so we can draw all of these interesting inferences or correlations between disparate data sets that, you know, people just wouldn't naturally understand. Sure. Uh, but using kind of our, our, our algorithms, we can kind of make sense of. And so we can take all of that, and I won't bore you with the details, and my, my uh, EVP of product engineering <laughs> probably kill me anyways because some of it's proprietary. Um, but literally we can, we can, you know, track a phone, you know, leaving a restaurant, know when they left, where they went, right. where their home is, where their work is, what applications they use, when did they consume the most data on their phone, what apps consume the most data, how to reach that person at the right time, at the right place to deliver the right message. Interesting. And so, you know, and, and this is important because on the onset, it sounds like, oh man, it's a little bit, you know, like Big Brother. But that's why we're introducing, you know, FunCoin, the cryptocurrency, because we're actually going to turn that on its head. But I won't get to that just yet. The last line of business, the other billion-dollar line of business, it's kind of one of those TV shows. You're like, but wait, Kevin, there's more. <laughs> you know, it makes Julianne fries too. So, you know, we, you know, one of the things back in about 2014, and you'll see how this all connects to a cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, we ended up be being also involved in kind of IoT before IoT was cool. Interesting. So we had a challenge from actually a, a hospital, it was Kaiser at the time, okay. to help 
kind of bring all the value proposition of GPS outdoors, indoors. You know, could we're really good at mobile, we're really just smart engineers. Could we crack the code on basically indoor blue dot? And we basically, you know, now this was a long story short, we killed it. So we beat out Google, wow. uh, we beat out a lot of different providers. Um, and over the last probably, you know, three or four years, we've become at least probably one of the top three, if not the number one company for the kind of tech that goes into locating people and things indoors. So bringing to life that blue dot capability inside, which is all a whole series of challenges. Sure. Um, we've even done it on a cruise ship. Um, oh, wow. We just completed a, a, a proof of concept on a cruise ship, which is interesting because now you're not only dealing with lat long, but you're dealing with dynamic elevation because of the rise and fall of the waves. Yeah, no one was able to solve it, um, but we were. So interesting. interesting opportunities with cruise lines. Now, once you have that, and I remember we're the, we're the foundational element of all this. We're the platform. So, right. you know, you can build applications on top of our, it's called locate on right. top of our locate software. You can build whatever you want. So the cruise line wanted to build um, basically Uber eats on a boat. So interesting. don't actually, I'm Army, so I can say boat, but don't ever say that to someone in the Navy or someone in the cruise industry. They love right. to call it a ship, and it's a her. So they'll yell at you if you do that. So I apologize Pro to tip. anyone listening, but I'm the Army, so I always call them boats. Anyways, um, yeah, so we have this you know, interesting application for Uber Eats on a ship, whereas you know, a hospital likes to do you know, wayfinding, for instance. Right. You know, how do I get you know, people from the parking lot to an OR or to a waiting room without getting lost because hospitals are inherently... Uh, confusing to get around. We can do it for where we work with AT&T Stadium, okay. um, you know, we do airports, Interesting. malls, big box retailers. And so now you just step beacons? back and you look at all Be- beacons and Wi-Fi yeah, and Bluetooth. So, so we can use anything. So okay. we've, uh, we, we, use, we can use BLE. Okay. Um, we can use proximity beacons. There's a lot of new tech that and some of our channel partners that are putting kind of smart lighting in the ah, building. We can use those. So, we're we've one other thing that Alan did that was very smart. Um, two things, and then I'll finally shut up on all this. No, no, it's good. Works, I can talk a little bit about it. Um, it channel partner agnostic. You know, we build the tech, we don't care what platform you have, we don't sure. care what you know, hardware you have. We can, we, we are incredible at systems integration, and so we can pretty much play with anyone. And that was the important thing of what he did and the value proposition of our data. So many people like Facebook and Google, they have what we kind of call a vertical walled garden. You know, they have data, but it's kind of within their own ecosystem. We said, hey, you know, a person is not a vertical walled garden. A person is very horizontal. We use different apps. We do different things. We go to different places. Some have iOS. Some have Android. So Funware took kind of a horizontal slice and said, our common denominator is going to be the mobile phone, not a single app. So now we have, when we talk about these disparate data sets, it's data sets from all aspects of that mobile ecosystem, not just one app. And that's really interesting to brands because now they're not tied to just the Facebook world or just the Google world or just iOS or just Android. We're just saying, look, if they got a phone, we want to make sure you can give them the right message at the right time to do something that they actually want to do. So we kind of take that relationship and make it less adversarial. It becomes now a conversation. Sure. Because, look, people people want to buy still, 
they just hate being sold, especially yeah. when it's not when they're when you're trying to get two kids out the door in the morning yeah. and you're making lunches. They're not really primed to receive an advertisement, and so you got to really understand your user, their behavior, and when they're most willing to listen and what products they're most willing to listen to. Sure. So now, if you step back, I'll do a quick summary on everything. So you sure. have this company in Austin, Texas, called Funware. It's got an incredible team of 85 engineers who wow. can build pretty much any application you can think of. We have data coming in, you know, over a petabyte of data at this point. That's crazy. And we have integration. Awesome. Yeah, we have integration with IoT in the real world. Very cool. So kind of I'm going to pause there to get a question about Funware, and then I'll yeah. explain why that three-legged stool is such an interesting foundation for Funcoin. Sure. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. So I'm curious, though, for people that actually want to leverage the tech you built to, to build on top of it kind of their own solutions, how do they go about doing that? So great question. So doing that is actually pretty simple. I mean, we're always on standby. One of the things that we've done operationally is kind of integrate our customer success team with basically engineering and support because that's okay. really what success means. It's really, you know, integrating our tech into their tech well sure. and at scale. And so, but I mean, the traditional way you can go to GitHub, you can, you know, we, we have tutorials and easy to use SDKs and step-by-step, -step, you know, kind of, you, know, you can also talk to a real person, um, great support, you know, functionality within the company because that's, that's what we want. You know, we right. want people to, wow and delight their customers and so the more we can help them you know integrate and use our stuff the better mm -hmm. um so you you can you go go to github uh, start playing with some of our software you know out of the box sure you can also contact us directly and we can kind of collaborate on how to best use our tech um and we can kind of walk you through if it's not something you're familiar with and that's what you know if you, if you listen to alan ever talk about this he always kind of uses a, a cake um analogy you know okay. we we have a lot of ingredients um if you want to kind of do it yourself or you know we have you know ready-made cakes um that we can deploy to you um if you're an off-the-shelfer and so you're either do it yourself or off the shelfer and that's that's dependent on each company and and how they're arrayed and we don't pass judgment and we can work with either one of them sure interesting so how did you guys land some of these big brands kind of early on oh man i always tell you you know I'll again compliment Alan and, and okay. his other two founders, um, Luan Dang and, and Alan Kane. You know, it's hustle. You know, yeah. and in the early days, it is. It's you know what's funny. I don't know if you know a gentleman named David Goggins. Um, uh, I don't know him, but I know of him. Yeah, so motivational speaker, ex Navy SEAL, and one of the things he says, which I think it, I think he's talking more about just people, the human being, but I think it applies to business and just about everything. He says that, you know, the, the world, the reason why he does ultra marathons and he pushes his body so much is to kind of know the limits of himself physically, um, to kind of fortify himself mentally. Okay. And 
there is, you know, something I think he said by last year, he said, you know, the world today is soft. And so it doesn't, it's not that hard to really elevate yourself to amazing because sure. you just have to break through certain mediocrity that a lot of people feel. Yep. And I feel that way about customer kind of engagement. You know, we live in a digital world where you'll send an email or a text and we, there's entire deal, billion, billion dollar deals that go together where people never even see each other. And yeah, people, it's interesting. Have, people think that's now, you know, that's just how you do it. And I, I me and Alan do not agree. You, know, you got to get out of your office. You got to introduce yourself to people. We were meeting with the C-suite at WWE two weeks ago. We were in Florida meeting with several C-suites, the cruise lines. You know, if there's a meeting to be had, we're on a flight and we're shaking hands. And, and that's how you get access to these large brands. Because remember, these large brands are not startups that you know got you know that came out the door in the last ten years. A lot of these brands are storied brands. They're you know, they're, they're large, they've been around a while, they still remember what it means to build a relationship with their partners, to shake hands, to yeah. break bread, to really look across the table at somebody and engage in kind of a collaborative conversation. That's been at the heart of Funware since the very beginning. Alan was, you know, in the very beginning was on a plane, you know, every single day closing deals. Wow. Um, and there was never something that, you know, and it wasn't even about not being willing to delegate. He's an amazing delegator. But it was about, listen, if this is important enough for the CEO of a company we're trying to sell to show up to, then it damn sure this should be important enough for our own CEO to show up to it, too. Makes and sense. And that level of respect is kind of lost in today's you know, world where we're just so Agreed, busy yeah. and we think an email can solve everything. Um, we, we like to meet all our partners in person. Interesting. No, I, I think that makes makes a lot of sense, right? It. it it sets you guys apart and it's obviously worked because you guys have been around for so long and you've worked with some of the biggest brands kind of globally, right? So obviously what you guys are doing is working, right? And it's interesting to get your kind of perspective on that because I think sending a thank you like handwritten card, right, is yeah, – uh, when was the last time somebody did that for you? It, it's almost unheard of, right? And I'm not saying you need to do that maybe every time, but – you know, it's those little things that if you just make a little bit of extra effort, it goes so far. I, I get going on flying around the country, meeting with partners is is quite a bit of effort. You know what I'm getting at, right? Spot on. Yeah, I love that example, and, and, you're, and you're totally right. And then just it's your point. I mean, the underpinning of it is just you care. Mm -hmm. And so after you meet with people in person, and they can put a face to a name, and you can tell yeah. some stories. You know, kind of not to use the military, you know, too much, but you know. The military, you don't rush into battle for God and country. You rush into the battle because you built a relationship with the person next to you and you know they would do the same. Interesting. You know, business sure. isn't necessarily always life and death. Sometimes it can be. Yeah. Um, but you do business with people you like. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, granted, the tech has to work and granted, they have to be able to deliver. Um, but you want to know that they're in it with you. Yeah. It's and very if you secondary, don't ever right? build that relationship, yeah, you got you to gotta open those doors and, and really communicate and be you know, be ready for some criticisms too. You know, you yeah. got to be responsive to the customer's needs and you got to, you know, really kind of deliver what you say you can deliver. But I always found, you know, relationships are key to kind of landing those large brands. Interesting. Yeah, and I think just to touch on your point like a little bit longer about um, getting open and honest feedback from especially your early adopters is, is way more useful than the person. I love it. Well, yeah, but I want to know what you dislike about it or what do we need to improve or what do we need to add? And the people that are willing to openly give you kind of that 
brutal, honest feedback. And you need to be able to kind of take that and not get offended, right? Because the second you get offended, they're, they're going to stop telling you the, the bad, right? And the only way to make your product better is hear some of the bad. Very well said. Couldn't agree more. So walk me through what is FunCoin and, and how does it kind of play into Funware? Yeah, so this is exciting stuff. So I think we're, we're the history of Funware has kind of been a lot of firsts. Sure. Um, but I always kind of use the analogy of, uh, a super talented songwriter. You know, there's not a lot of people who would know Funware, you know, like they know a Facebook or like they know a Google. Right. Um, and so we've always been that kind of really talented songwriter, you know, backstage listening to someone else, you know, sing our stuff, whether they're, you know, more talented us than the, or, or not, I won't, I won't comment on. But, you know, now it's kind of our time to really step out uh, into the spotlight. Okay. And so, what you may or may not realize that is going to be interesting, especially as it pertains to FunCoin, is you know we're also in the process of working through a registration statement with the SEC oh, wow. uh, to list on that. Yeah, to list on Nasdaq. So interesting. You know, we, we're in about the third round of comments. Um, it's been a great you know process working with the SEC, as great as it can be working with any three-layer agency. Um, but super excited about the opportunity um, to take FunCoin public. And so, as if that wasn't enough of a challenge and we didn't have enough lawyers and auditors you know, working on our behalf, um, we decided to launch a cryptocurrency simultaneously. I so see. I think we'll go down in history as the first company to ever launch a simultaneous you know, registration statement with the SEC and uh, introduce the world to a, a unique cryptocurrency. Interesting. But doing that has a, a variety of challenges I'll talk to you first before I tell you exactly what it does. Sure. So because we're going, uh, we're working to go public, you know, we, we had to really dial in kind of, you know, regulatory and compliance. And so as you look at the cryptocurrency space, there's a lot of question marks. Mm -hmm. You know, have we really been, you know, investing in and trading, you know, unregistered securities for the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, and, and most likely the answer is yes. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to jail and, you know, the whole system's going to blow up. The government's going to figure out a way to make all this make sense again. Yeah. But... You know, the reality is everyone's a speculator. We can keep arguing utility, but I mean, even, you know, Ethereum you know, it has a question mark around it, even though the SEC said it wasn't a security. And so you could argue Bitcoin. I get that one. Um, but for the most part, a lot of folks should be biting the nail um, because you're really at this point hoping for the government to find a unique solution to get them back into compliance yeah. because there's no justification that they weren't security. They were absolutely security. If you had an ICO and, you, and you're not like a, like a Digibyte or a Bitcoin or something that just never had an ICO, you were most likely a security in the story full stop. And so for us, we wanted to go into it with that mindset, at least as it pertains to the U.S. And we are not about to just abandon the U.S. And so... We said rather than just running and saying, okay, we're going to close off all investment to U.S. investors because it's too much of a complicated regulatory environment, we're going to embrace that. We're going to take that and make that our competitive advantage. Sure. We're going to launch a fully compliant security token offering, and we're going to do it in parallel with a public, you know, with a, with a go public option with the SEC. And we're going to kind of open the kimono and say, this is what we're doing. And at the end of this, um, it'll be interesting because we, and we do believe we'll, we'll see daylight here pretty soon. This could be, you know, the kind of almost by happenstance, the, a blessed off cryptocurrency offering. 
You know, because the SEC knows exactly what we're doing. We've we've told them everything that we're doing, um, and we've even gotten a question during this process from the Office of Capital Market Trends, which is kind of a new uh, regulatory body to kind of look at cryptocurrency. We were able to answer that. We've got a wonderful partner, the Goodwin, that have kind of led our legal from a cryptocurrency perspective. Amazing longtime partner at Wilson Sonsini, a storied law firm in California and well, all over the world at this point because um, they run all our corporate uh, legal. And so at this point, you feel very comfortable um, that the SEC is pretty comfortable. You never know till it's done and the ink sure. is dried. But, you know, we, we hope to be just about through the process at this point. Uh, when we'll have, you know, kind of what we can point to as a, a, a fully regulated you know, security token offering wow. that actually has visibility in the real world. And that's, that's I think, what's going to be defining, and I'll explain kind of what it does. So, you know, we have this, again, to kind of, you know, summarize, we have this application ecosystem, we have this data ecosystem, and then we have this kind of integration with IoT. Right. And so... You can now take a cryptocurrency, and we have you know two phases. I'll talk about the first one you know, initially. Think of it as you know either enriching data or influencing customer behavior. Okay. So as we you know, as you as you ask people about Cambridge Analytica and all these things, yeah, data has kind of become nefarious and it's kind of insidious, and no one's like necessarily giving up their Facebook accounts, but there's this growing awareness that as digital citizens, something's not right. You know, something's wrong in the matrix. Yeah, and, you know, it starts to feel like data exploitation. Yeah. And so, you know, there's all these really complicated, you know, solutions to this, you know, download this brand new browser and stop using Google and, and yeah, maybe that'll work. Which is, you know, the, don't even get me started on barriers to entry and, and customer adoption when you start telling people to change what they've been doing for 10 years. But, yeah, it's interesting. You know, what we've always tried to look at Sometimes in the army, it's keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Uh, it's kiss methodology, and, and sometimes simple is better. Yeah. And so we kind of thought about it. Okay, so you have people; they're a little pissed off that their data is being used. Yes, there's you know, of course everyone clicks accept for those terms of agreements and terms and conditions that no one ever reads. Yep. But nobody feels good about what's happening, and there's companies making billions of dollars every year on the back of your data, and they probably know more than you kind of want them to know. Yep. He said. Step one, keep it simple, stupid. What if we just pay you? Like we collect data too. Sure. We collect a lot of data. And the brands are coming to us to buy it. And we can do that right now legally, but it doesn't feel right. So what if we came out kind of like a white knight and said, Hey guys, guys, hey girls, we're we're collecting data too, just like everybody else. But if you engage in our ecosystem, every time we get paid, you get paid. And so it's a pretty basic principle, but we couldn't do it with fiat. Yeah. The transfer fees would kill you trying to send nickels and quarters and dimes <laughs> all over the world sure. to millions of users. But now with the cryptocurrency, aha, yep. you have a technology that can do high volume, low cost value transfer at scale, almost in the background, like a rules engine that we can just pay out as things happen. So yeah. all these brands have what's called profitable behaviors you know they a lot of these you know especially major brands we deal with you know, they know their customers they yeah. know who converts and has a higher you know ltv you know what their you know customer acquisition costs are they're, they're really dialed into that but loyalty programs are inherently 
you know, problematic. Okay. You know, one, there's a lot of fraud involved yeah. with them. But two, and less of a common sense, you know, kind of point to our value proposition, billions of dollars of loyalty programs, you know, kind of sitting on companies with liabilities. Sure. So every time, you know, you send out those points, that's a liability that that company has to carry. Yeah, interesting. With cryptocurrency, you shift custodianship over to the user. So you can move all of that liability off the book. Yeah, That's a huge idea. So when we're talking to brands, you can do all the same things you're doing with the current loyalty program. Yeah. We can do it in a very seamless way using our application ecosystem, branded to look like it's yours. You know, so we're, we we can actually have a white label our fun coin wallet and have it be a complete, you know, say it's a cruise line, it can be cruise coin. Yeah, the underpinning security is fun coin, but to them it looks like a branded experience to their users. And all of that kind of same value proposition for a loyalty program now no longer sits on their books as a liability and can happen seamlessly in the background using our rules engine uh, and, and our, our blockchain. And so our blockchain solution. So we want to basically give people a chance to engage you know, with our system, tell us more about themselves. So we have a lot of data. We may know you're a man or a woman. We may know you live in Texas. We may even know your annual you know, median income. Sure. But we sure would like to know are you going to send a kid to college this year? You know, are you going to buy a car? If you buy a car, do you like foreign or domestic? Do you like fine dining or casual? So there's a little bit of a, you know, our, our wallet will not just be a wallet. It'll be also, again, a, a data acquisition device where it's fun and engaging. That's where we kind of actually, you know, originated the name Funware. Um, it's applications that exhibit game-like mechanics. And so as you get into the wallet, we may have like a, a Tinder-like swipe function where, you know, you get to answer a couple questions, you know, two or three as you log in. Yeah. Tells us a little bit more about yourself, you know, and then as brands engage and, and want to do things or purchase that data, you know, we compensate you for it. And we compensate you for the questions you answer. We compensate you for the value you provide to the overall data segment. And so we have this data enrichment thing going on where now brands are coming to us and they get really dialed into what those users like, what they want, because the users are part of the conversation. It's Instead of data exploitation, it's data collaboration for compensation. And now everyone feels better about it. So that's step one. The other part of it is very cool, and this is where the IoT comes into play. Okay. You ever seen Minority Report? Yeah, yeah. Remember when he, when Tom Cruise stumbled into the mall, he's got the, the other, you know, got the eye transplant yep. in, it's like, his scan is retina. He's like, hello, Mr. Yakamoto. You know, yep, yeah, how yeah. do you like that shirt you bought? You know? So we can do that now. Instead of, but instead of a retinal scan at your mobile phone. Sure. So we know who you are, where you are, and what's around you, you know, pretty much all the time, especially if we're working with a, a big box retailer, for instance. Let's say you walk into a big box retailer. You're walking down an aisle. What's around you? Millions and millions, if not billions of dollars of R&D and packaging shoved into products on shelves, which also cost an arm and a leg. And you don't pay attention to any of it because you're yeah. trying to get in and out if you're like me. Well, brands are trying to figure out, how do I have this stuff jump off the shelf? Sure. Well, you've got to integrate something unique. Yeah. And so what we can do with our existing infrastructure is as you're passing, let's say, an end cap, you know, Target, for instance, and you know, there's, a, there's a product that we will push to you to think it aligns with your data profile. We can hit you with a push notification that says, you know, it comes across just like a text. It says standing, you know, right. You're standing right next to a very interesting product 
based on your, your purchasing history or your likes and dislikes, we think you'll love. For 100 fun coins, will you watch a 30-second video on how a product works? Sure. Yes. Video, video launches. You watch the video. At the end of the video, maybe there's an opportunity for more data acquisition. We say for an additional 100 fun coin, answer these two questions about the video you just watched. Answer those two questions. You know, good news. And you know, if you purchase this product within the next two hours, uh, we'll give you 20% off, you know, in-store only. Sure. So now what you've done is you've introduced this seamless infomercial-like construct into the real world. So you've taken all of that information we collect in the virtual world, yeah. and you served it up to influence a real-world experience. Sure. So that's when you start bridging the gap. I kind of jokingly say, you know, FunCoin is going to become a digital platform for human experience. Sure. So everywhere you go... You, you, you know, this idea of Siri is, a, is a, quite frankly, a pain in the ass. Like, I don't want to have to ask my phone what to do. It's like an employee. Yeah, I don't want to have to tell you what to do. I want you to do it. I yeah. want you to know the in and out of the company. And I want you to just almost work a little bit autonomously because you have, you know, initiative and you're accountable. Well, your phone should be the same thing. Your phone knows much more about you and the world around you than you probably ever will. And it has access to any information or any holes that exist in that kind of construct. So if your phone can just spring into action and serve up information and opportunities seamlessly wherever you are, now we're starting to advance the human experience in the real world. And so that'll be the next step with FunCoin is really influencing customer behavior at point of sale or when they're experiencing interesting venues, you know, that's why we were talking at WWE, you know, right. when you're at a stadium, um, you know, when you're, you know, at a you know, football game, when you're, you know, waiting for, a, for instance, one of the cruise lines, you know, they say, if you, you know, they have a very high conversion for booking excursions, if people are shown information while they're waiting to board the ship, right. which makes sense. I guess you're, yeah. you're excited about getting on the ship. You can't wait, you're all jazzed up, and now you're waiting around to go, well, hell, I guess I'll, I'll shop. Yeah, so how do you get information to them while they wait? Well, your mobile phone will do that. We geofence yeah. your report. We know when you're arriving. We know when you're parked. Now we can start serving up videos to show you how cool the excursions are and lead you straight into a purchase uh, environment. And there you go. Done. And, and so there's a lot of this stuff we can do integrating with IoT that takes you know, all of this construct of the virtual world and start bringing it into the real world to do things in a real world live. So I think that's important to us as well. And, and we deal in threes, you know, that's not all. So the third and final leg of all of this will be, you know, somewhat like a decentralized data exchange. Sure. You know, can we eventually get to the point where all the data we collect and all the data that makes up you, your likes, your dislikes, can that be yours, owned by you, on your mobile phone, biometrically secured, what we kind of call self-sovereign identity. Um, and can you now put that into a unique, you know, blockchain-based data exchange where brands can now buy data directly from you? So rather than going to Facebook and paying Facebook to do what they call build audiences, because you don't even have attribution to figure out, you know, who actually, you know, your messages are reaching, and Facebook and Google won't let you audit their data. You can now go into our unique data exchange and say, I want to you know, target men and men or women or men and women, these ages, these locations, these you know, personality dynamics that we've already collected and curated, and I want to 
purchase that data in order to deliver messaging to those people. Sure. Well, now we can enable that. You control the data. So you control what you share, when you share it, how long you share it for, and you get paid for it. Interesting. And then, you know, that it becomes kind of a, instead of a peer-to-peer exchange, it's a brand-to-consumer exchange. So finally, you're kind of a B2C exchange for data that begins to take. So we, we started with data exploitation, we moved to the data collaboration and compensation, and finally we end up with true data empowerment. Yeah, interesting. Because I would love the idea of just being able to give a brand or a store that I buy, I don't know, shirts from. I've said this kind of on the show before that I w- was talking about this. Is if it could say like, okay, you've bought these 10 shirts in the last five years, say. Here we have another shirt that's similar to the ones you bought in the past. Do you want the new one, right? And we'll just ship it to you. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I would love that. Like a simple, simple use case of that. Where And there's a handful of other things like that. Or maybe I'm in the store and it says, oh, you know, you should check out these new items. Or you know what, we have these new items, go look at the pattern, see if you like it, but we don't have it in your size, just sh- can we ship it to you in like three days or something? I, that would be awesome, right? Something simple. 100% right. You know, Amazon revolution has a lot with kind of the, the one-click you know, purchasing, but and now you're talking kind of this, this almost no-click discovery. And yeah. so even beyond just, hey, this is like this, what's interesting, and we're working with our data scientists on, and bringing in even – kind of thinking through folks that would, you know, a little bit more almost like mental constructs, like, you know, like Myers-Briggs, like personality types and, and thinking through that. Because what's interesting is, you know, they live and breathe this idea of, you know, what does a person, how do they like to send communication? How do they like yeah, to receive communication? What's most likely to align with their personality construct? And so you, there, there's interesting correlations that we can now begin to build. So we build these data sets. They're also going to be kind of, you know, we're going to take from what we know about, you know, kind of personalities and be able to kind of curate information in a very unique and very personalized way. So you may discover something that you didn't even know you like. Hey, you bought these these T-shirts and because you bought these T-shirts and we can look at all the other data of people that bought something similar, you may like these shoes or these jeans because they match and the the designers work together or whatever. Or it might be weirdly you know, not obviously correlated as you like this brand, you probably also like fine dining. This brand new restaurant is worth, you know, opening up and, you know, we want to basically give you an offer for this or this. So there's a lot of discovery that sure. we want to enable through the process as well so that people are delighted not only by the experiences that they want and that they're looking for, but delighted about experiences they never knew they even needed. Yeah, and I think that's what you can begin doing when you curate so much data at scale in an organized way. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's actually really quite fascinating. But what about going the other way? Some of the biggest pain points, and I, I don't play video games anymore because I don't have time and I, I do miss it sometimes, but you log so many hours in these games, sometimes even like years, maybe even decades in some of these like more popular games. If a big game like that could integrate with what you guys are doing, and I could make me somehow export or get credit, some fun coin or something related to kind of, you know, something I've been doing for a number of years and bringing it back into the real world. Have you guys thought about that? Or is there any kind of, is that down the, I love it. the pipe? Ironically, you know, ironically, you're, you're, you're smarter than, than most. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about the gaming industry 
is they've actually they're kind of the precursor to cryptocurrency. Sure, you know, very you, much. You so. have you have, you know in app rewards, rewards, and kind of digital assets, whether it's lives or coins to buy more more character you know features or whatever. Um, a lot of the people in the gaming industry, you know, thinking like Machine Zone and Gabe Layden and, and, and some of those folks, you know, sure. they when you hear them speak about you know digital assets. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, first person shooter. They they talk like they're economists. You know, oh, they talk sure. about, you know, how the velocity of the you know digital asset velocity and, and you know how everything works and is connected to treasuries and, and, and just, you know, supply and demand. And it's very interesting because that's absolutely um, informative for how we're kind of building out, you know, the fun coin ecosystem. So we're tapping on a lot of that knowledge. So to answer your question directly, yes, we are work with a lot of uh, game developer actually one of our speed plots so not only can we help um, introduce rewarded behavior uh, rewarded surveys rewarded videos for more game lives or you know more features we do that today already we've also even worked with some brands on integrating um, advertising into the game itself so okay. being very immersive and and showing you know you're in call of duty and you're running past you know a broken down building and there's a billboard you know that's in game advertising sure. so there's a lot of interesting um, nuances that we can take from the gaming industry uh, to help kind of build out the cryptocurrency world. But yeah, and it, we absolutely would love to begin replacing the idea of just an in-game currency with an actual, you know, cryptocurrency so that there's, there's more utility. Sure. Interesting. But we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, and I do want to kind of mention one other thing. Um, I, I, it looks like you and I will both be kind of in LA in, in January for, for the, the Media Excellence Awards. I, I know I'm going to be there, and it sounds like you're going to be there as well. So I'm looking forward to kind of meeting you actually in person. But do you maybe want to talk quickly about kind of the importance of kind of being recognized in the industry and having kind of an award ceremony that actually recognizes kind of talent like this? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I've had the pleasure to get to know uh, Sarah Miller uh, behind the MEAs for a, a while now, and and what she's done um, with the MEAs is, is I can't underscore the importance enough. You know, for us being kind of leaders in in mobile, you know, a lot of people aren't inherently aware of what the capabilities are, both in terms of tech. Sure. But also just in terms of use cases, and so when you the, the way you do that, we we talked about this I think before we started. You know, yeah. the more you read, the more you talk, um, the more immersed you are in something. That's when the neurons start firing, and you get you know not only do you build relationships with other people, you know that shared camaraderie and trying to innovate, uh, but you get inspired by other people's stories, other people's challenges, and so. Totally. Bringing everybody together in a format uh, like the MEAs and, and really showing what excellence looks like um, is so critical to our industry because it keeps pushing the bar a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, um, and getting everybody, you know, kind of, it's funny how um, connected this conversation has been, but, you know, back to that you know, idea of, you know, building relationships, yeah. you know, who do you really want to work with? You know, yeah, I could, I could Google, you know, past winners and I could, you know, see who won, do my own research, but there's nothing to replace actually being there, feeling the energy, sure. shaking hands, meeting people, breaking bread, talking about challenges, and then maybe even talking about opportunities to collaborate in the future. So sure. I'm a huge supporter of, um, you know, 
organizations like the NBA that can kind of bring together and bring so many amazingly talented people together uh, in one place um, for an evening or two and, and really help people kind of not only get inspired for innovation, um, but also meet people who you know, could be inspiring in the future. Sure. And and one thing you actually built or let people leverage your technology of past kind of winners, right? People have won these awards based on kind of your guys' technology. So I, I think that's kind of, um, you know, something to kind of mention as well. Um, and people can kind of go to the media X, the, the letter X awards.com. But do you maybe want to close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about Funware and Funcoin and, and any other links you want to mention? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Funcoin um, is easy enough. It's www.phuncoin.com. And Funware is www.phunware. Uh, so fun with a ph and you know but you know at the end of the day you know our entire team we have a, a very open door kind of policy both online and in the real world you know people are, can reach out to me um anytime they want it's easy enough our crowder at funware.com uh, and i love talking to people in the industry you love you know collaborating thinking about how we can be partner how we can deliver our solutions better um or your feedback from customers and so i'm always available uh, our ceo is always available um, and, and we just want to say, you know, thank you to you, Kevin. I mean, this is an incredible, you know, thing that you've put together. You've had some incredible uh, speakers. I'm glad you're slumming it with me today. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I don't think it's slumming really, it, man. This has been great. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you and talk more about this. Um, I, I tell you, I never pass out an opportunity to talk about what you're doing. Uh, and if you do, maybe you're not as excited about it as you should be. And, so you, you can't get me to stop talking about Funware and Funcoin and, and our amazing team. Uh, so this has been a real treat for me. Perfect, Randall. I, well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and seeing you in person in January. And uh, have a good rest of your day, man. Absolutely. You as well, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.